At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the gospel. All right, so we get to continue our series in First Peter today. Uh, last week we started this series, and this series, as you see on the screen, is called Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. I mean, this series is so important for us in the world that we currently live in today, isn't it? We can have steadfast, unshakable hope in an unpredictable world. Not one of us would have predicted a year ago that we'd be where we are currently today. But we have something that can be predicted and something that we can have our faith in, which is the unshakable hope of Jesus Christ. How many of you are glad for the unshakable hope of Jesus Christ? Amen? Yes. Amen. And so uh, what we're looking at is we're going to be doing a nine-week series in the book of First Peter, and we're going to be looking at this idea of hope. We learned last week that hope is an expectancy, a looking forward to something that you're going to see fulfilled. You know, we, we put our hope in many different things, and the world puts their hope in many different things. Uh, uh, some of the people in this world put their hope in the stock market. Uh, some of the people in this world put their hope in their job promotion. Some of the people in this world put their hope in their humanitarian efforts. Some of the people in this world put their hope in sports teams. Not if you live in Michigan, but if some of the people who live in this world put their hope in their sports teams. Some of the people who live in this world put their hope in the fact that they're a good person. But the reality is, is there is only one and only hope that is not dead, but is living. And that is the living hope of Jesus Christ. Uh, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, I got this awesome opportunity to take my little daughter, Caroline, she's four years old, uh, out for a daddy-daughter date. Uh, and we really love these times together. I'd love to be able to do them more or make myself do them more. Uh, we actually go to this place called the Country Inn, uh, which is in New Baltimore. It's a great little place. Uh, we love to go there and eat. They have this breakfast special, which I absolutely love. Uh, and we go there. Make sure you get there before 9 o'clock. Uh, but we go there and we get the breakfast special. And we always get uh, Kara something special like a hot chocolate. And we're always very purposeful in asking her questions. And so Kara's birthday coming up in January. She's a New Year's baby, and so uh, it's coming up in January, and so I wanted to make sure to ask her this time on our daddy-daughter date what she wanted for her birthday. I asked her what type of cake she wanted, and ice cream, and, and how she wanted the party, and then I asked her, what do you want for a present? And she said, well, Daddy, I want three things. The first thing I want is a doctor sticker book. All right, awesome. She really likes this doctor thing right now. Uh, so what's going on in her world? She really loves it. Right? I get to wear a mask. Uh, <laughs> 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 oh, that we were all doctors. Uh, so, so first thing, she wants a doctor sticker book. Uh, the second thing that she wanted was uh, toys and clothes for her baby, baby Lizzie. Um, and then finally, she wanted to have a Doc McStuffins doctor kit. If you don't know who Doc McStuffins is, it's a toy doctor. Um, if you have kids, you probably know who Doc McStuffins is. But that's what she wanted. So, all right, sweetie, sounds good. Well, later on that day, we went home, and Caroline went to my wife, and I guess I should have asked her what she wanted for her birthday, because she came to my wife, and she said, hey, guess what? Daddy got me a Doc McStuffins doctor kit. And she said, can I play with it? 
It's interesting that she had so much confidence in even asking me for something that she even received it before I even gave it to her. That's pretty powerful stuff if we think about that with faith. Uh, but she, she wants this Doc McStuffins kit so bad. We said, no, that's for your birthday. And so now she asks us all the time, when can I play with my Doc McStuffins kit? Can I play with it yet? How many more sleeps until I get to play with my Doc McStuffins kit? You see, this little girl is hoping for a Doc McStuffins kit. It literally gets her up in the morning. It's what she lives for. It's what she hopes for. It's what's her driving force for life right now is a Doc McStuffins kit. It's really important to ask the question of what we hope for because what we hope for is what drives us in our lives. And see, we as Christians have to ask ourselves the question, in a world in which we are exiles, what are we putting our hope in? And that's the title of today's sermon, What Do You Hope For? So will you please open your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, I said we'll be in this passage for nine weeks, so go ahead and put a bookmark in there. Um, or uh, pull out your cell phone if you don't have a copy of God's Word. Uh, look it up, 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be diving in verses 13 through 21 today. What we're going to see within this passage is that what we hope in changes our lives. What we're going to see is that the future hope of God's grace transforms our conduct today. The future hope of God's grace transforms our conduct today. You see, Christians, we hope for the return of Jesus Christ. We hope for the day when God will come back, he will make all things new, he will make all things right. But how many of you know that the world is not going to continually get better until Jesus comes? It's going to continually get worse until Jesus comes. And so we say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But the reality is, is that after we get saved, we don't just get saved and then just sit around and wait for Jesus to return. We should be looking to his return and we should have hope in that return, but we don't just sit around. We have to live in the world that we are currently in. And what we need to realize is that as we look to live in this world, we have to look to the future hope of Jesus Christ and let that transform how we live in this world today. So let's go ahead and read this text beginning in verse 13. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, be holy as I am holy. And if you call on him as father, who judges impartially according to one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time in exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways in the inheritance from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the lamb, uh, the, the precious blood of Christ, that of a lamb without blemish or spots. And so as we, as we look at this idea of what do you hope for and, and future grace transforming our conduct today, the first thing that we are called to do as believers is to be holy because our heavenly father is holy. Be holy because our heavenly father is holy. You know, as we look at this text, the first word that we see is the word therefore. Now you guys have been around enough and if you're new, that's fine. But when we see the, the word therefore, what question do we have to ask? What's it there for? What's going on? Why is that word there? And it means that it bridges and connects back to the previous context of what has just happened in 1 Peter. Now, what we saw in 1 Peter is the Apostle Peter, he is writing a letter to elect 
exiles who are scattered abroad in a small part of the country in modern day Turkey, which is probably about the size of Michigan. And he's writing this letter to them to encourage them as they are facing persecution. And he calls them two things. He calls them elect and he calls them exiles. Now, if you remember from last week, what does the word elect mean? It means chosen. Very good. The word elect means chosen. So first, you are chosen of God if you are a Christian. And then the second word is exile, which means a foreigner or a stranger in a land that is not your own. So Peter is writing to these elect exiles that are in this region and he's encouraging them in the midst of very uncertain times to remain faithful in the living hope of Jesus Christ. And so it says, therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when we look at scripture, it's important to understand English grammar. One of the greatest things that you can do in order to understand the Bible more is to take an English grammar class. Diagramming sentences will actually help you understand the scripture more. Because as we look at this, at this verse right here, we see therefore, and then we see this word preparing, and we see this word being. Now, both of these ing words are what are called participles. And what participles do is they tell us how to accomplish the main verb. Well, as we look at this, we're going to see the main verb. And that's what we need to look at in this text. It's the imperative. It's the command. And what we see is the command is to set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What Peter says to these people who are in the midst of suffering and pain, who are in the midst of un, uh, uncertain times where they can't predict the future, is he says, listen, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's the answer. That's the answer for our anxieties. That's the answer for our depression. That's the answer for our fears. That's the answer in, unshakable, in uncertain times is to have unshakable faith in the hope that's going to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Set your hope fully on the grace. Now that word grace means unmerited favor, something that we don't deserve, something that only really God can give to us that grace that will be brought to you when? It will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So as a Christian, our hope is to be set in something that is in the future, which is the return of Jesus Christ, where God is going to make all things new. So that changes our conduct today. It's by setting our hope fully on the grace that is going to be revealed. Yet we see here these participles tell us how to do that. The first one we see is preparing your minds for action. Now, as I look at that word, the first thing that I think about is a coach before a big football game saying, hey, prepare your minds for this game. Or you think about a general or a commander before an army goes into warfare, prepare your minds for warfare. Really, what's going on here is he's saying to these elect exiles, get your head on straight, get your head in the game. Get your head in the game. And he says these two words. He says, prepare your minds. Preparing your minds. This is how we set our hope. We, we prepare our minds. Now, it's really, really important to remember within our society today that I think becomes very emotional that thinking is also an act of worship to God. 
Thinking is an act of worship to God. You can worship God in your thinking. And really, mindless Christianity is a problem. Because mindless people follow mob mentality. People who don't think for themselves go after the things that they're told are right to do. Mindless people follow mob mentality. And that's why we see in the scriptures that we're called to be these people that used to search the scriptures to make sure what they were being taught was true. The Bereans were called to be Bereans, those who seek out the truths of scripture to know if what we're being told is true or false. Because not everybody who stands on a stage behind a pulpit is going to tell you the truth. Not everybody you see on television is going to tell you the truth. Just because somebody has a stadium full of people doesn't mean that they're preaching the truth. We have to be mindful people and we worship God with our minds. The word of God says that we are called to worship God with our heart, which is emotional, our soul, which is spiritual, our strength, which is physical, and our mind, which is intellectual. And so we need to worship God with all of these different assets in our lives. And so uh, what we're going to do is we're going to intellectually set our hope that Jesus Christ is going to return. We set our hope on a fact. We set our hope on a fact and on a truth. The truth is that Jesus is going to return 100% guaranteed. You will be face to face one day with Jesus. And the scripture says that we will all bow our knees before Jesus. Whether in heaven and on earth or under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. The answer then becomes, will he see you as as his son? Or will he see you as a sinner separated from him? And where you will be under his wrath for all eternity. The way you determine that is what does your relationship with Jesus Christ look like? Have you surrendered your life to Christ or have you totally ignored him your entire life and never surrendered to him? The next thing he says is being sober-minded. Now, for those of you who are here, what's the opposite of being sober-minded? Well, I'll say it for you. It's being drunk-minded. And the reality is, is that if you've ever been around somebody who is intoxicated, I'll use different words, who is intoxicated, they act a little bit strange, don't they? I told you guys before that I was a bouncer for about four years of my life. So uh, I encountered many intoxicated people. They say ridiculous things like, I want to go next Wednesday to get a donkey with a candy cane and I'll see you Tuesday. You know, and you're like, what are you even talking about? And it makes sense to them, but it doesn't make sense to you at all. Their mind is clouded and they can't think clearly because something's causing them that. Well, if we think about our minds in our society today, I think one thing that is clouding people's judgment is emotions. Now, emotions are not bad things. Emotions are important. They allow us to connect with God. It's vitally important for us to connect with God on an emotional level. That's how we're supposed to love him. But we cannot allow our emotions, emotions to govern our lives. We can never allow our emotions to govern our lives. And so emotions, especially in the midst of hard times, will cloud our judgment. And we react without thinking. And I think we see a lot of that happening in our society today. Emotions are clouding our thinking. Another thing that can cause our mind to be fuzzied is looking at the things of this world and wanting them with everything we are. 
The things of this world become so attractive to us that we go after them with everything that we are and it causes us to be dulled to the Spirit of God and it causes us to not be aware of what's going on around us. What Peter says, he says, listen, step back for just a minute and realize that you're living in a world of people who are not sober-minded. Now, isn't that a powerful truth? It's a very powerful truth, and I'll tell you why. Because you look around and go, these people make no sense. I don't understand why I think completely differently than ever. I, I don't get this. Well, it's because they're not sober-minded people because sober-mindedness comes from spirit-filledness. You can be sober-minded through the scriptures and through truth. It says preparing your minds for action. Set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we have to be those people who are continually renewing our minds. Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing continually of your mind. Again, that's the participle. You're being transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. It's cause. We are transformed by renewing our minds every single day. You know, I used to think, well, pastors nowadays, this is before I came to Christ. Uh, pastors nowadays, you know, they just preach all the same stuff that I heard when I was growing up. You know, I'm 20 years old. I'm sitting, I'm sitting in a church chair because I'm supposed to be there because that's just what I did when I grew up. And, and the pastor said, hey, you know what? You need to read your Bible every day. You need to pray to God and you need to seek what pleases him. I'll be like, yeah, pastor. I've heard that 600 million times. I grew up in the church. Why don't you tell me something new? But then when I came to Christ, the reality is, is the way that we renew our minds and we become more like Jesus is reading the Bible, praying to God, and seeking to please Him. So that's why we repeat it over and over and over again. It's because what we need to do. And we, what we continually need to do, we need to get up and read the scriptures. Or before you go to bed at night, ponder in the scriptures. We need to be praying throughout the day for our world and the people around us. We live in a world where we are at war. There is spiritual forces going on in this world that we cannot see. But what Peter's saying is in this world, you need to step back and realize what is going on around you and keep your mind sharp. And keep your mind in the game. So we have to ask ourselves the question today. Are we sharpening our minds? Or are our minds being dulled? We sharpen our minds through the word of God. Through coming and sitting under the word of God. Through studying the word of God. We sharpen our minds through being uh, with those who are of like-mindedness. The scripture talks about iron sharpening iron. Which is our life groups. If you're not involved in a life group, get signed up. Because you sharpen each other's mind. We, we, we do that through brothers and sisterhood. And so we have to keep our minds sharp. Text continues, 1 Peter 1.14. Now we see this image. He tells us how mentally we do this. Now we see this image of, uh, of we are children of God. Look at uh, 1 Peter 1.14. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. As it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And so as we look at this, we see that we're called, if you're a Christian, that you're called to be holy as God is holy. You as a child of God are called to represent and resemble your father. And so as we look at this, we have to understand that this is for Christians. 
for those who know Christ as their father. If you don't know Christ as your father, trying to be holy without the Holy Spirit is not going to work. Because in the eyes of God, all of our good deeds are filthy rags. We have to have the Spirit of God inside of us, working in us, transforming our minds and our hearts in order that we can be holy as God is holy. And it's fascinating to me because it says, as obedient children. Now, those of you who have children, you know that there are obedient children, and then there are disobedient children. And having obedient children is a lot better than having disobedient children. And this text says, as obedient children, which think about that for just a minute, God being your father, that's pretty cool. It's pretty cool that God is your father. It says, as obedient children, do not be conformed. It says, don't be conformed. Now, what are we not to conform to? That word conform means stamped out into the image of. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Now, I found this very powerful. So what this text is saying is that before Christ, we were formerly ignorant people, meaning we had no knowledge at all. We were formerly ignorant of the ways of God and how to live to please God in this world. You know, as a dad of three kids, four years and under, I think one of the greatest mistakes I've made as a parent is expecting my four-year-old, my three-year-old, and my one-year-old to behave like adults right now especially without me telling them how to do it. They do crazy things like throw stuff at each other at the dinner table or burst out yelling during prayer. I'm like, what are you thinking? You know better. Oh, wait, I never taught you better. No, you don't know better. Our world is ignorant. We were ignorant before Jesus. People who do not know Christ cannot live in any other way than after the sins of this world. They pursue it. They go after it because they know no other way. And the way for them to come to know that way is through the gospel of Jesus Christ, the enlightening of the Spirit. Now, it's important to know that as parents, as we raise up our kiddos and we teach them how they're supposed to behave at the dinner table, they are now accountable within that to respond in that way. Because they are now not ignorant anymore and they are enlightened. So we as Christians have a greater responsibility to go after the things of God, to be holy as he is holy, because we're not ignorant anymore. We've been enlightened. And so we're called to be obedient children. And it says not to be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. The reality is, is that sometimes the passions of our former ignorance sound really good to our flesh. Right? The Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 7, there's this war going on inside of him, and he wants to go after all the things that he does not truly want in his spirit. And he fights this war with sin that wages within him. James says that our flesh wants to kill us. It wants to lure and entice us and drag us off to death. The scripture says that Satan wants to kill, steal, and destroy from us, and our flesh wants to help him do that and wants to go after the things of this world. Now, our flesh through the Spirit can be redeemed as well. The Spirit living and moving in us, we can command our flesh to walk in the way of the Spirit. But the reality is, is that we do not celebrate, nor prize, nor go after the things of our former ignorance. 
When we are enlightened, we are at this completely different place. Our minds have been literally changed to understand the world in a different way. The world's number one question is, why are we here? Christians have the answer. You ask the world why we're here. Well, to make the world a better place. For what reason? Well, so that the next people can, okay, why are they here? Oh, to make the world a better, okay, so we're all here just to make the world a better place for all of us to live in and then poof, go away. Is that, is that what happens after we die? Well, well, we, we kind of just go away. That doesn't make any sense. That really doesn't give you much to live for. Christians have the answer. Why do we exist? Well, we exist to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Wow, really? Yeah, we're here to worship God. Really? What happens after we die? Well, it depends on what you do on this earth. Really, this earth is actually a testing ground for what is to come. If you surrender your life to Jesus Christ, then you will be with Jesus Christ in all eternity in the most mad, wonderful, phenomenal, imperishable place you can ever imagine. But what if we don't? Well, then the reality is, is that you are a sinner separated from God, and because of that, you deserve the righteous judgment, wrath of God upon yourself for all of eternity. Do you want to give your life to Jesus Christ? <laughs> we have been enlightened to a new way, who is Jesus himself. So don't go back to the passions of your former ignorance. If the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong. You don't got to pray about it. You don't got to think about it. You don't have to have a conversation with somebody about it. You just need to read that if the Bible says it's wrong, it's wrong and don't do it. God has spoken on the issue. Can any other voice trump him? Absolutely not. So we must be sober-minded but what the reality is, is that for Christians, the world's going to look at us and they're going to be like, you're strange. You have a girl and a guy who are dating and they don't live together before marriage. The world looks at you and says, that's weird. You're strange. If you're somebody who's dedicated to going to church every single Sunday and you're missing out on your long weekend, your vacation trips, your, uh, your camping, or you're missing out on those great fishing trips... The world says, why would you do that? That's weird. If you're somebody who serves in the student ministry on Sunday nights and you say, hey, I got to go. I'm going to go serve in the student ministry I committed to on Sunday nights. And I said, why? Are they paying you? Like, no, actually, I pay them 10%. Uh, <laughs> that's weird. Only if you don't understand what we're doing it for. Only if you don't understand that this world is but a vapor. Only if you don't understand that we live for something far greater than this world. Which is the glory of Jesus Christ. And the grace that will be revealed at the revelation and return of the Lord. That is why we give ourselves to the worship and praise of God. Second, if Jesus is your redeemer, be faithful. Look at verse 18. 
knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let's jump back to verse 17. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout your time of exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. Now look here again. We see another, another command that we need to look at. And if you call on him as father. Now, now this is interesting. It, it, first we see him as our father. Then it says what our father does. Who judges impartially according to each one's deeds. What does impartially mean? It means it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter anything that your past was. It doesn't matter what ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic standard you were. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. What matters is that you surrendered your life to Christ and had the sacrifice of Jesus upon yourself. So we see this, this interesting juxtaposition. We see father, then we see judge. That's really interesting because I think it's really important to talk about this for just a minute. There is a beautiful truth that God is our Father. There is a beautiful truth that He sees us as sons and daughters. There is a beautiful truth that He loves us. There is a beautiful truth that we can know Him experientially and intimately. Yet I think sometimes... We focus so much on the love of God that we forget about the holiness of God. And what I mean by the love of God is to say that love is just accepting people just how they are. And not demanding any sort of a change that happens. God is love, but I think we define this word wrongly sometimes. 1 Corinthians 13 says that love does not rejoice with wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. God is love. Yet if we look at all of Scripture, there is one characteristic that is emphasized above every other characteristic throughout the entire Scripture. There is only one word that is proclaimed to the threefold, three consecutive times, which is the greatest way you can say something in the Bible, and it happens twice in Isaiah 6 and in Revelation. It is the word holy. Holy. Meaning he is other. He is set apart. He is different. And with that, the text says here, we are to reverence him. God is love. And he deeply loves you as a father loves his children. But Jesus is not your homeboy. The reality is I'm talking about is that we must respect our father and our king and have a healthy reverence and fear of him. The reason I said that phrase is because that's on t-shirts and things like that. And, and what I'm saying within that is that our father needs to be someone we respect and we love and we know loves us. But we also have to realize that this God is the judge. 
And we too are going to be judged based upon our deeds and will suffer loss or reward for it. We will, we will be with Jesus for all eternity. That is guaranteed because of surrender of our lives to Christ. Yet the scripture talks about a judgment for the believers where we will receive reward or we will receive loss. And so we need to reverence and fear our God with respect for him. It leads us into deeper worship. There's healthy fear. The reason why we stay inside the yellow lines when we're driving is because of a healthy fear of the semi that could be coming in the other lane. That's why we look before we go around. We obey these things because we have a healthy fear and it causes us to have our conduct, realizing that this God is our Father. It's good for my children to have a proper respect of me. It helps them live the way that God would have for them and it helps them realize a proper respect for God. We have to respect and honor our God. And he is not only our God, we need to fear him and we need to love him and reverence him and be holy as he is holy and then realize that he redeemed us. He ransomed us. He paid for you. Come on, that's powerful. You have a price that you could never pay on your head. Every person who's ever been born has a price on your head that you could never, ever, ever, ever pay. Because the debt continues to grow. But there is one who can ransom you. There is one who can free you. There is one who can pay for you. There is one thing that can pay for you. It is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. A spotless sacrifice. A lamb without blemish. He was perfect, yet he died the death of a criminal. And because of his death as a criminal, you can be holy as God is holy. You can be faithful as the Redeemer is faithful. And you can live in this life as an elect exile with your mind sharpened, being sober-minded, living for God no matter what comes at you because we don't know what tomorrow is going to bring but we do know what Jesus Christ brings and that's the future grace of God that should transform our conduct today and that should cause us to worship him to stand firmer in the truth than we ever have before. Because this book used to be something that everybody in the United States knew what was. Now, I bet there's probably a large percentage who've never even seen this book before. This book is going out of our society unless God breaks in. Yet we as Christians must stand on this word. We must proclaim this word. We must say there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby you must be saved. And this word says how we are to live. And a future grace will transform our conduct today. We allow this word to shape us. We don't shape this so that it fits our lives. We must be the people of God, setting our hope fully 
on the grace that is to be revealed at the revelation of Jesus Christ, start asking ourselves the question, if somebody looked at our lives, somebody looked at our Facebook, Instagram, Netflix, Snapchat, all of these different platforms, would they say that person loves Jesus, that person is holy as God is holy? Somebody looked at our conduct, if somebody looked at how we treat our neighbors, if somebody looked at how we talk about others, would they be saying that he is holy or she is holy as Jesus is holy? We have to ask the Lord to move in our lives because we can never be holy on our own. It is only through the Spirit moving in us. And this righteousness and this holiness is a standing before God that he is working in us that will be completed at the revelation of Jesus Christ where we will stand with all the nations and tribes and we will sing holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.